All right, let's see what we've got coming through in text messages right now. We're going to have some interesting ones. You haven't had a chance to uh, to look at them all yet. So let's just scroll back to the beginning of them and let's hear what you have to say. And, of course, we'd love to hear from our listeners. So please send through your messages, particularly as we get into our Bible study now. Uh, send your thoughts through. Uh, begins with, hi, Lyle, hope you had a great camping trip. I did. You have no idea. Um, as I said earlier, we had a group of pastors. We went away for a year-end retreat. And we planned a day to go sailing. Now, we planned this quite some time ago. And, of course, for those anyone who's lived in the Newcastle area knows that we've had 30 days of rain and 30, days, and 30 nights of rain. Um, and the weather fined up. We had no rain. We had no clouds. We had a pleasant 24 degrees. And we had a perfect sailing breeze all day. And we sailed around on a little catamaran and had a blast. It's like a great time, Noah. Yes, yes. Okay, going back to your story, Robert, on the uh, protection of that island by its owner, well done. He obviously realises that he can't take the money with him when he's put to rest. So he's he's got his his, uh, priorities in the right place. Somebody texting through on the butterflies. We can't call them stupid, that's for sure. Pin brain. Not such an insult after all. God is amazing. Amen. Okay, Billy Eilish and the porn statement. People don't realise the connection between porn and demon control and possession. Yes. The violence attests to it. Let's not fool ourselves. Many people in high places are in charge of it. That is why politicians are very slow in stopping it. This is the problem that we have. Mm. The people that are in a position of power to legislate against this stuff are consumers. Mm. We, we know that statistically. You know, regardless of whether they claim to be consumers, we just know that statistically. And producers. <sighs> heavy, heavy stuff. Uh, religious liberty and the vaccines. The Ubuntu Church fired for being vaccinated. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yep. The knife cuts both ways. If a church member doesn't keep the church doctrines and she is an employee, they should have the right to fire her, as we should in our church. But, yes, you're quite right. This case may very well open the Pandora's box. It's kind of like the most insignificant little case mm. that is going on out there at the moment. Precedent. Where, where, but the precedent that could set is going to be very interesting because everybody's just assuming you can't fire someone for getting double vaxxed. You know, mm. that's, that's mm. your initial reach. When I read the news article, and, of course, the news article is saying the same thing, when I read the news article, I'm like, you can't fire someone for getting double vaxxed. Mm. But I'm there. wait a minute, this is actually their church doctrine. Yeah. That's the point. That's the issue. And when that becomes their church doctrine, then it becomes a completely different... If it wasn't their church doctrine, I'd say she has freedom of conscience and I'd stand for her freedom of conscience. But it's their church doctrine and that makes a religious liberty issue rather than a freedom of conscience issue. Okay, this one's for Eliza. Thank you for your expose of Ellen White. What an amazing woman. Unbelievable achievements. That is just to prove what God can do with any one of us who is willing to be used by him. Nothing to do with education, but the willingness to be educated by the master. Mm. A woman well before her time, a real blessing to the church and the world. Wasn't she involved in Australia's separation of church and state and regarding Sunday law issues, as it was in the US with A.T. Jones and her? This is an interesting, interesting point. Um, Ellen White was very, very involved in the formation of, and, and, and I forgot to ask Eliza about this, but the formation of the Australian Constitution. Mm. 
and Section 116 of our Australian Constitution. She was, she was very active in mobilising uh, the church in Australia to support the inclusion of Section 116 in our Constitution. And as a church, our church was very active back then in campaigning in the political sphere for Section 116, which of course was intended to be, it didn't end up being, but it was intended to be a statement in our Constitution to guarantee religious liberty and freedom of conscience to every Australian. And that was why uh, she was involved with it in, uh, along with uh, the Adventist Church here. So, yeah, interesting point, good point. We mm. probably skipped over that one um, in the interview, but um, yes. All right, so those are our text messages. Rick, I, th- I understand that you had something to do with a you, – you were mentioning off air that you had something to do with um, – doing a presentation down in Canberra in relationship to some of the history of Ellen White's involvement here in Australia. Yeah, we... You, the, uh, for those of these you don't know, Rick, Rick is a, uh, a retired university lecturer. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh, Australian Catholic University requested... Um, <clears throat> Mary McKillop will be well known to some of our listeners, I'm sure, um, sainthood and all that sort of thing um, through the Catholic Church. Yeah, Australian Catholic University... Uh, sent a proposal out to a number of uh, inst- educational institutions, tertiary educational institutions, asking uh, religious ones, asking whether they had anyone in their tradition who, not compare and contrast, but would emulate in a sense, because Mary McKillop was quite a, a, a progressive thinker, particularly in education. John Shapashik and I got together and thought, you know what? And I just mentioned for our listeners, John Shapashik, uh, was in charge of the Ellen White estate yes. in Australia yes, at the time. At, at, at Avondale College, that's right, he was. He's retired also now. And we thought, why don't we, why don't we write something about um, Ellen White? And uh, there were 10 different faith traditions. The book was published. It was The Governor-General was there at the time. Um, <clears throat> following, the, following the presentation, I was, I was a few people just gathered around and one of the academics said to us... Um, this Ellen White person, why haven't you told us about her? Mm. And I thought to myself, well, we know about her. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> because we know about her, we just assume everybody does. Yeah, so what, what happened was that was an invitation to go down and share to the students um, some of our, our background as a church in Ellen White. Um, but what fascinated me was I think sometimes we, we, we move within our own traditions, whatever that is, mm. And we don't see beyond that what other people are seeing. So we see quite differently. So I was confronted in a way that my understanding of Ellen White hadn't got across the fence to others to share that in a way that was healthy and positive. Mm. Um, So very little, very few Australians, like our lady was saying, knew who Ellen White was. And and, and the opposite goes because, you know, I know Mary McKillop's name. I know that she's been made a saint. I think she's the only Australian saint um, within the Catholic Church tradition I don't know anything about yeah. her. I, would, I didn't even know until you mentioned it because you were involved in it. Well, I didn't even know she was involved I in was education. I was exactly the same. Incredibly mm. progressive woman, yeah. incredibly progressive, particularly in education. And I thought, not a compare and contrast, but boy, Ellen White was very much ahead with educational processes. And so uh, it's just fascinating. It was a really enjoyable experience. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Well, we should get into our Bible study this morning. We are going through the book of Hebrews. And of course, this week, not with the book of Hebrews, what am I saying? We're going through the book of Deuteronomy and we're going to look at today Deuteronomy's influence on the book of Hebrews. Mm. So Hebrews is coming in. We're going through the book of Deuteronomy. We're looking at uh, Deuteronomy's influence in the New Testament and, of course, you could not look at Deuteronomy's 
or the writings of Moses in particular influence the New Testament without considering the book of Hebrews because, well, it was written to Jewish people, for Jewish people, by Jewish people. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse uh, 28 to 31. Uh, let me see who's got that one there. We need some Bibles to hand out here. Are you a Bible there, Robert? I've got one. Okay, fantastic. I'm, I'm, Have you got a Bible I'm there, Rick? The I'm ready. Yeah, there we go. Oh, okay, so uh, Rick's got paper one. Robert's got his on the screen. So, Robert, go for it if you've got it right there for us. Any, uh, verse 28 to 31. Yes. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, that was a pretty full-on statement right there, Robert. Anyone rejects Moses' law dies without mercy. And then it's just like, go to the, go to the ad break. Yeah, I thought I wouldn't uh, try and fight that one. So we'll repeat that again to give you the context. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So I was explaining what happens, what happened back in the days of ancient, ancient Israel. So they needed two or three witnesses to actually condemn a person in the time of judgment. Verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, so, um, yeah, it's the breakfast show. Let's go deep straight off the bat, right? <laughs> let's, let's not hold back this morning. Uh, Book of Hebrews certainly not holding back here this morning. Uh, where we're Hebrews chapter 10 and, uh, and verse 28. We've got some pretty solid passages, some pretty solid verses here. To consider, okay, let's let's begin by looking at the statement in relationship to Moses' law, mm. uh, and we're just going to work our way through this passage because there's a very clear reference back to uh, the books of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy in particular, um, where a person, well, as it says in the KJV, died without mercy under two or three witnesses, and we think, oh wow, that's pretty heavy. They died without mercy. And in our society, that's sort of what jumps out to us. More than the fact that this was a three and a half thousand year legal code that required more than one witness. Mm, that's the point. That's the point. What other legal code from three and a half thousand years ago required more than one witness? All you required was the ear of the judge in those days or the ear of the king. Mm. You go in and say, okay, this person did this particular wrong to me. You know, I was raped by this particular person. And if you had the ear of the king, if you had the ear of the judge, then that person would be executed. Mm. Under Moses' law, if you came in and said, hey, I was raped by this person over here, it required two or three witnesses mm. for that person to be convicted. And, you know, this is, the, this is the really terrible thing about rape is that, you know, and I don't know why that one popped into my head, but... Um, yeah. Even in today's society, you know, only one percent of of accusations result in a conviction because there is very rarely witnesses, and it comes down to what he said, she said. Yep. Yeah. But Moses' law, you could not execute somebody based on a he said, she said. Mm. Fairer system, a very fair system for its era. Mm. You know, if you were in Egypt and you were a mate with Pharaoh, then Pharaoh would. Take your side every single time. It really came down to who took your side rather than whether there were witnesses or not. 
So this was a system that was light years ahead of its time. Okay. Uh, then we go to verse 29. Wow, verse 29. Uh, Robert, read for us verse 29 there again. There's okay. all kinds of implications here for Christianity. Mm. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Okay, let's think about the implications of this passage right here. Uh, this this is a passage that has implications to large portions of Christianity, and I would say in particular the followers of John Calvin. Mm. Let's let's think about that for a moment. So so the Calvinistic view is 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 pretty heavy in you know what it does to the character of God, because the Calvinistic view says well you know there are some people who are cha- who are who are chosen to be saved and some who are not. Predestined to be saved. Predestined to be saved. And so in, in essence what you could say is that God created some people so that he could save them. He created others so that he could burn them eternally under the Calvinistic system. Mm. And, and this is where any false doctrine attacks the character of God because that is a God who is awful. Yeah. But what kind of a person is being punished in this passage right here? Here we've got someone who has knowledge. Okay, they don't just have knowledge, though. They've got more than knowledge, don't they? It's based on uh, the information that they've received, like they've saying, look... Have been sanctified. They've got knowledge and experience. Mm. Yes. And they ha- if you're sanctified, the word sanctified uh, simply means made holy. Made holy. If you're made holy, you're not made holy as an unconverted person. Mm. So this is somebody who is made holy, and yet has done what? Trampled the Son of God underfoot, insulted the Spirit of grace. It's pretty strong language. Why do you think that uh, Paul is using such strong language in this passage here? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that are not followers of God, but we wouldn't say that they have necessarily trampled you know, the Son of God underfoot and despised the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, these are people who know him. They've been connected with him. And so with that connection for them to then treat him a certain way, he says, look, you, look what you have done to Jesus. Just like Jesus said, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. If people know, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is mm. sin. Mm-hmm. If people have that knowledge, they have that experience with Jesus, then what's going to happen when, when they come before the judgment and they have to face their actions? Uh, says, yes, we did trample him underfoot. Yes, we did insult the Spirit of grace because we knew and we still went another way. It's like a pure hypocrisy. Yeah. Yep. We've Keep been, going. We've, mm. we've travelled that journey and at the same time lived that double life where we don't recognise the journey and the sanctification process. So on one hand, that's who I am. On the other hand, I'm not that person at all. Mm. And God will recognise that. He knows that difference quite clearly. Do we have examples of this in the Bible of people who literally trampled the Son of God underfoot in the way that they were holy, were sanctified, were made righteous, were washed in the blood of the Lamb, and then turned away. The studio has gone suddenly silent right now as everybody tries to think of a of a biblical example. Well, David always amazes me. David was the one that was... David was the name that was on top of my list. Yeah, I, you know... 
we we tend to look at the scriptures. I, I don't know about you, you guys, but um, you wonder why God put characters in scripture like He did because He knows we need those characters in scripture. And and sometimes I look at the life of David, and you know we we play this little game of I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Oh, they're silly disciples, mm-hmm. and yet and yet He lives such an interesting life. And you get into Hebrews where I think it's Hebrews where God says, "A man after my own heart," and and you you put those two together and says, "What what did God see?" David David's life tells me more about the love and graciousness of God than anything else in a way, mm. and yet he was having that battle all the time in his own personhood. I know the things of God. I know what God's told me to do. I've gone and done all this other rubbish. Um, at the same time, yes, yes. But what a heart of repentance. Yes. Oh. Yes. Well, these texts, what I see here, it's so important that, that we look at these texts and recognize that what Rick has just been explaining about David and God's mercy is that we can easily look at this text and think, oh, wow, you go that direction, you're done. You're cut off. Uh-huh. However, if we look at these biblical evidences, that's if you continue in that direction and don't repent. And this is this is what's interesting about the text because the text says how how do they come back? Mm. The answer is David. Yes, you know because well, as it says here in, in in my translation, you know of how much sore punishment. Uh, suppose you shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant, where by which he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done des- and has done despite or despised the Spirit of grace. Um, you know, and then it goes on and talks about you know vengeance is mine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, is asking how mm. David is the answer? How you know? And, and in your first two kings of Israel, I think you've got an example that um, of of both sides of the equation because mm. the simple reality is that we all are David, we all are Saul, uh, and we all have the opportunity to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, to be washed in His blood, to be made pure, and to be made right again. And the difference between them is that David repented and Saul didn't. And David's sin was worse than Saul's. Mm. And, and, and the majesty of God, you know, with Saul, how often in the Old Testament God will say, don't do that. Yes. But look, if you're going to do it, I'll still be with you, but this is going to hurt you. Mm. <laughs> yes. Saul, Saul, you don't need a king. But look, if you're going to go that way, Okay, I'll put up, <laughs> I'll, the, the judge, Josh, you know, the judges and the kings and all that. It's up and down this relationship with God. You know, um, we're on a mountain, we're in the valley, we're on a mountain. I see the same in this sort of story. God is good, absolutely. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so text messages that came through um, while we were uh, having our Bible study there, right there, says um, says this, and this is interesting because it goes back to our story on uh, vaccination. It says, then, of course, people are being fired for or at least losing their jobs for not being vaccinated. You know, when I first read that particular story, I looked at it from a freedom of conscience perspective and thought, okay, this will create an interesting precedent for freedom of conscience because um, if she can't be fired for exercising her freedom of conscience to get vaccinated, then you can't fire someone for exercising their freedom of conscience to refuse the vaccination. I thought, okay, that's going to create an interesting precedent until I realised it's not actually a freedom of conscience issue, it's a religious liberty issue because they have a church doctrine that is against vaccinations. 
And so from a religious liberty issue, it's the opposite. Yep. Creates the opposite precedent. It's an interesting, interesting, such an interesting case. Stay tuned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's see where this one goes. Worms. Okay, then uh, another text message here. In relationship to our Bible study, we were actually just chatting about this on off air while that song was playing. None of us would be here today if it wasn't for these stories. The one that helped me most is the story of Job. Well, most people blame God. It tells me who is really doing it. Satan. Never blame God for all he allows is for our benefit, for us to glorify him. And, and, and what we were chatting about is that all of these stories in the Bible tell us about God. Mm. They tell us something about God. Mm. And if we just read it as a story without learning, without asking the question, what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about Jesus? Yep. I think, uh, Ricky mentioned that it was almost like uh, you know trying to uh, ride a bicycle without a hub inside the wheel. Yeah. You've got, you've got the rim, you've got the spokes, and you've got no hub. Yep. And Jesus is the, the hub, hub that binds all the stories together. Yes. Mm. Fantastic stuff. All right. Let's, uh, we're, we're looking at this passage here. It's a heavy passage. It's talking about God's vengeance. Uh, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30 now. Let's consider verse 30. Uh, 30, 31. Uh, Rick, have you got that one for us there? I do. 30 and 31. I'm just going to For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, said the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, now let's think about this. God says, Vengeance is mine. And that's a little bit scary. You know, this is the kind of verse that has been used in the past by your, your fire and brimstone preachers to just speak terror into their audience. But I want to think about that for a moment because we were talking about David earlier and David's sin and how David received forgiveness for his sin, how he trampled the Son of God underfoot, how he despised the covenant, and yet he received grace. But let's go a little bit further on in David's life when David sins, his next big sin I think I think it was in his list of sins when he numbers Israel. And he has some options there, you know, fall into the hands of your enemies, uh, fall into the hands of God. I I think there was a third option. Disease. Yeah, something like that. And David says, I will fall into the hands of God. He doesn't choose the hands of his enemies or plague or whatever. He says, I will fall into the vengeance. I will experience the vengeance of God. Why does David choose to fall into the vengeance of God rather than the other options. I think it has to do, this has been a fascinating subject to me for years because when God says vengeance is mine, I will repay, it's in the context of saying you don't have to repay others evil for evil. You don't have to try and get them back because God is going to fix everything up in the great judgment and he's going to deal with anybody who needs to be dealt with, he's going to repay properly and he'll do it justly. So he's trying to encourage us to be a little more uh, understanding and and to let him take that position, to let him be God. Let God be the one. And Ruth, yeah, Robert, I think the same. To me, it's a matter of trust. I I love your point there because to me, furthering from that, it's a matter of when God says vengeance is mine, he's saying, Rick, trust me that I will do what I need to do and don't you try and fix things that uh, and hold grudges and all that stuff that you're not meant to be holding because I will work it out. Just trust me that I'm going to do all this stuff when I need to do it. 
that's yeah. the lesson that I get. It's my, this is my stuff God's saying. And, and so what David's doing is David's saying, well, if I think of vengeance from people, they're going to mm-hmm. smash me and kill me and destroy yep. me, and there's not a hope on the because planet. Because they're controlled by Satan, and you're actually experiencing the vengeance of Satan. Exactly. So if I choose who I'm going to experience consequences from, God's my safest bet yes. in yep. a thousand miles. Absolutely. It's a trust matter, isn't it? Oh, Absolutely. Full on. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it's all about. If you're going to choose anyone's if you want vengeance, it's like I'll fall into the vengeance of God every single time because I know that he gave his life for me. He, he, he's the one who, who bled on Calvary for me. He experienced the vengeance on my behalf. Therefore, I know I can trust myself with him. Like, have you got a minute? I can just yes, share something. Like you know, sometimes um, we get together and we pray and we're, we're hoping someone will get well and we're asking for God's leading and direction in that. And, and sometimes it doesn't work that way. And we say, God, we, we want to trust you. You know, I think, I think where God is calling us is not to the healing place, oh, you'll get better or you won't get better. It's a deeper one than that. And I mm. think this is what I love about David. God is actually saying to us, will you trust me regardless of what the decision is? Mm. And to me, that, that connects me with Paul when he says, don't worry about what they can do to your body. It's your eternal life that's so important. And it doesn't lessen the struggles we're going through now, but to me it's God is saying, I'll draw you to a place of trust no matter what mm-hmm. because I will look after you in the big big picture. And think of the peace that that trust brings to us as Christians. That's the one that passes understanding. Yeah. Outside of Christianity, you just don't have that level of peace. No. It, uh, you know, and there's, there's so much that you see going on in the world and we can trust God. So much goes on in our lives. We can trust God. We can have that peace. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Oh, it is now time for... Question of the Day. What do you got for us, Robert? The question is, who... <laughs> Was Saint Nicholas okay? Who was Saint Nicholas, otherwise known as in- Saint Nick? Saint Nick, yes. And and the kind of the the legend behind the you know Father Christmas that we have today, who gets around in his Coca Cola outfit. So if you're wondering why he wears, wears the red coat, it's because of uh, Coca Cola advertising campaign back about a hundred years ago. Oh, you realised that? Yes. Before that, he always wore green. Uh, but then Coca-Cola changed him to uh, red colours. So, yeah, um, Christmas has been completely commercialised, just in case you were wondering. Um, it is. Uh, it has become something that is all about making money, but it is also a time to remember uh, Jesus Christ and his birth. And it's also a time when we can remember, well, St Nicholas. So let's talk a little bit about St Nicholas. He lived a long time ago, um, between 270 and 343 AD. So this is a fairly early era of Christianity. Uh, because that is a long time ago, all of our sources about St. Nicholas are secondary sources. There are what people wrote about him. We don't have anything that he wrote that has actually survived to our era. Mm. And he came from a very, very wealthy family, it seems. Uh, he was converted to Christianity. He was from Myra, which is in Asia Minor. It's actually a place mm. where uh, Paul stopped at one particular point, um, changed ships in Myra. So it's mentioned in the Bible, Acts 27, uh, verse 1. You'll find a mention of Myra. So this is where he comes from. He became a, he became a, a, a church pastor there in Myra. And as a, as a result of that, he became somebody who was known for, uh, for his philanthropy. 
So coming from money, had a lot of money behind him, uh, no doubt inherited that money, so you know what we call old money, so to speak, and he used to use that in very generous ways. He had a few different uh, kind of unique ways that apparently, according to legend, mm-hmm. uh, that he used to help people out. So you know, when he met poor people, sometimes you know they came into his home. Of course, they'd take their shoes off at the door. He'd sneak around while they were otherwise occupied and slip a few coins in their shoes. Be mm. kind of a nice surprise as you leave. Like, oh, what's in my shoe? Oh, there's coins in my shoes. <laughs> Praise God, I've been blessed. Very famous story uh, about St. Nicholas was that there was a uh, an individual in his town that a man who was a widower, he had his, his wife had died, um, and they were facing deep poverty, and his three daughters were considering going into prostitution because there wasn't a whole lot of work available and that would be something that would, you know, just kind wow. of like well dollars profession. And so on three separate separate occasions, he snuck around there and he always used to like to do his, his giving, his philanthropy in secret. He, he very much mm. believed in what Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. Mm. And so he used to sneak around there at night and drop coins down their <laughs> chimney. <laughs> So this is where the legend came uh, from of, you know, Father Christmas who comes down the chimney at night and gives gifts to the kids. It was actually St. Nicholas who was protecting these girls from going into prostitution by dropping money down wow. their chimney um, on occasion. This is according to legend. So, you know, all of this has been passed down through it. Yay for St. Nicholas, man. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's also known as, you know, Santa Claus, St. Nick Claus. That's where you get Santa Claus from, St. Nick Claus. Um, and so that's the uh, the name that we typically know him by today. But coming from that part of the world, um, this is what you would, was Eastern Christianity. Their headquarters were in Antioch rather than in Rome at that particular time. Um, and this was, a, this was a church that was a very much a Bible-believing church. They were very missionary-orientated. They were a church that was involved in translating the scriptures and being, you know, involved in evangelizing the world. So that's a little bit of uh, history that we can remember at this time. Saint Santa Claus, Saint Nick Claus, who helped out other people who were in need. Fantastic stuff, of course. As we go through this day, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.